absolutely pants defenseman Jason Magna. Maybe he's more comfortable and more relaxed with Lane Lambert as the Islanders coach. It's absolutely insane to me that the Rangers and Islanders only play three times this season. A little bit of a curveball out of left field. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 143. The season is underway, and now instead of speculation and off-season hand-wringing, there are actual games and actual results to discuss. And hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. Thanks so much for tuning in and Please follow me on Twitter at agrossnewsday and be sure to check out all of Newsday's content at newsday.com backslash sports or more specifically newsday.com backslash aisles. On this episode, I'll go over the season's first three games and look ahead as the schedule definitely turns more difficult. There are also interviews with both Oliver Wallstrom, more on him soon, and Jean-Gabriel Pajot, plus your questions for Andrew's answers. But let's start with the start, and the Islanders are 2-1-0 as I record, with one game remaining against the Devils on their season-opening four-game homestand at UBS Arena. That, that began with a 3-1 loss to the Panthers in the season opener, and the Panthers did lead the NHL standings last season with uh, 122 points, and they led the NHL in, in goals last season. I believe that was a whopping 340, uh, so definitely a, a tough game to start, and then it, it was a close game, the Islanders losing 3-1, but then a, a 7-1 win over the hapless Ducks, and a 5-2 win over the winless Sharks. And those two California bottom feeders combined, yes, combined for just two points through the team's combined first nine games. So no, not exactly stiff competition uh, against the Ducks and the Sharks. But those are the games you absolutely have to put away. And the Islanders... Uh, as you see with a, a 7-1 and a 5-2 win, uh, they did that handily. And the the 13 goals the Islanders scored through their first three games left them tied for sixth in the NHL uh, through three games. And, uh, you know, obviously a very, very, very small sample size, but uh, uh, a much better, uh, you know, outcome than uh, last season when they were uh, tied for 24th in the NHL in goals. So, uh, you know, they're not going to score seven and five every game. They're certainly going to be the <laughs> enough three, two and two, one games to, uh, to fill your uh, brim. But it's good to see that the production can be there and uh, the spigot can get turned on that way. And, by the way, you, you notice the attendance at UBS Arena reflected that level of competition. Um, the, the, the season opener was a sellout, which is to be expected. But a Saturday night contest against Anaheim was, it, it fell about 800 shy of a sellout. But then the Tuesday night against San Jose drew 
just 13,892 to UBS Arena. And to me, that just strengthens the argument I've made and I've been making on the podcast that the NHL, the NHL absolutely should give more emphasis to divisional rivalries and games. Again, it's absolutely insane to me that the Rangers and Islanders only play three times this season. That's, uh, you know, I know it's within the conference, but uh, the, the Islanders are playing the Rangers as many times, uh, I believe, as they're playing the Panthers, which uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. And look, the NHL, again, not to get up on a soapbox here, the NHL should not be forcing home and homes each season with teams from the other conference because Islanders San Jose will never, ever be a hot ticket. Even if the Sharks get back to being good again someday, there's just really no emotional pull for, for the fans I'm talking about. Look, on the ice, the players, they're they're involved and, and it, there, there can be animosity even if you only see these teams uh, sparingly, the Islanders don't go to California now until March. So, you know, who knows what the Sharks roster is going to look like the next time the Islanders play San Jose. But uh, just from a fan standpoint, there, there's just really no emotional pull to these games. So, look, sorry to get started on that. Again, it's just, uh, to, to use a Peter Griffin phrase, it just grinds my gears. Uh, the fact that the NHL can't figure out uh, that uh, there's really no interest in Islanders Sharks or Islanders Ducks or Islanders Coyotes. But anyway, look, level of competition aside, there were certainly things to like in the first three games, even in the loss to the Panthers. And after that game, new coach Lane Lambert said his team did not play with enough pace. And, and we all saw that. Uh, you know, he, he said it, but we, we had saw, seen it before he said it. Um, and, and Lambert said the issue was a bit of lethargy, really, in the transition game. The uh, Islanders were too comfortable going D-to-D with their passes instead of the defenseman getting the puck up the ice quicker to the forwards to push the attack. What I did like and what I really liked is how quickly that seemed to get rectified. The defensemen combined for five of the goals against the Ducks, two from Scott Mayfield, two from Robin Sallow, and one from Noah Dobson. Uh, By the way, Noah Dobson seems to have picked up right where he left off last season and, and, and even improved his game and on ice awareness. So that's a great sign for the Islanders, and it seems like Dobson, it's a good mix with new partner Alex Romanov. Um, Romanov has blocked 15 shots through his first three games that included nine against the Panthers, and uh, four of those blocked shots came while the Islanders were playing shorthanded. And uh, then the, the forwards chipped in with all five goals against the Sharks, including two from... Oliver Wallstrom, and if Oliver Wallstrom can can elevate his game this season and and be consistent both with the goal and the point production, and he had four points through his first two games after missing the opener uh, with an unspecified injury, this is the best solution uh, to to resolve all of that offseason angst 
everyone felt about Lou Lamarillo not bringing in a scorer. Um, you know, be it Johnny Gaudreau being it in the mix to trade for a Matthew Kachuk, uh, being it a Nazem Kadre, everything that went on this offseason and the players that went elsewhere and, you know, that, that feeling of the Islanders going to be short on scoring again uh, coming into the season. If Wallstrom, again, can elevate his game this season, uh, it's just going to resolve so much for the Islanders. And remember now, Oliver Wallstrom just turned 22 this offseason. Uh, maybe some more maturity has seeped in. And I'm not trying to say he was an immature person. I, I'm just saying at 22, it's just natural that, that you kind of mature and you see things a little bit differently than you did at, at 20. Um, that would be that would be great. Um both Oliver Wallstrom and Lane Lambert have talked repeatedly about how motivated and how hard Wallstrom worked this offseason um, all through the summer. And as you'll hear shortly, Oliver Wallstrom knows he was too hard on himself last season at times. And he's, he's just feeling more comfortable this season after learning what an 82-game NHL schedule was really all about last season. And also, maybe just maybe he's more comfortable and, and more relaxed with Lane Lambert as the Islanders coach uh, this season rather than Barry Trotz behind the bench. But, you know, it, it, it hasn't just been the three goals which were scored. One was on a breakaway, and then he had two really blistering wrist shots uh, from up in, you know, high in the slot or above the faceoff uh, circle up in that area. Uh, Lambert has punctuated both of Oliver Wallstrom's performances by praising both his defensive effort and his work along the walls. And honestly, honestly, that that's what's going to keep Wallstrom in the lineup. And honestly, that was what kept Wallstrom out of the lineup at times uh, under Barry Trotz. Wallstrom uh, did see some time with the second power play unit against the Sharks. He, He was sort of alternating with Jean-Gabriel Pajot. And, and of course, uh, Lane Lambert uh, switched up his lines in the second period against the Sharks to great effect. And uh, Brock Nelson uh, and Anders Lee, uh, Wallstrom's uh, new line mates, uh, starting from the second period, they each uh, played a big role in, you know, one and then the other on Wallstrom's two goals. Brock Nelson winning a face-off and uh, getting it right to uh, Wallstrom for for the shot. And and Wally said that was absolutely a set play. Um, So Wallstrom went with Brock Nelson, Anders Lee. That put Anthony Beauvillier up with uh, Matthew Barzell and uh, and Kyle Palmieri. And I know a lot of you are clamoring for Beauvillier to be put back with Matthew Barzell, and then Zach Parisi was working again with uh, J.G. Pajot and also Josh Bailey, and and that's, you know, that's, that's a pretty hard-working trio right there. But uh, Wallstrom working his way into the top six, and again, that can alleviate, if he can stay there and if he can establish himself as a top six scoring wing, that alleviates so much of what the Islanders need. So, 
Here's a conversation I had with Wally about his outlook for this season and his assessment of last season. And remember uh, that the background chatter you hear is a good thing because it means us media types are back in the dressing room. And this conversation with Oliver Wallstrom starts uh, with him discussing the, the frustration of missing time toward the end of training camp and not being in the opening uh, night lineup after he did play in the first three preseason games. Obviously, it's pretty frustrating. You know, you get the timing back. Those, those first games, you know, everybody's trying to get their timing, their skating back. And, you know, I, I got it back after, you know, game two. And, you know, it's kind of frustrating, but, you know, it's part of the business. And, uh, you know, I just got to bounce back and take care of my body. How, I mean, if you do the self-assessment, how has it been for you up to this point? Yeah, I mean, I thought it's been pretty good. Um, you know, the uh, obviously the first couple of games, you know, everybody was kind of kind of new systems, new everything, so everybody was uh, you know learning new stuff. But you know, it's, it's starting to come along. It's it's pretty fun to see. When, when you look at the season, you know, what, what do you expect? You know, not from the team, but from yourself. Like, you know, what, what are the expectations? Yeah, I think uh, for me, you know, obviously I was kind of hard on myself last year. Uh, maybe I did put too too much expectations on myself. Uh, you know, this year is, uh, you know, I want to take another step, another jump in my game, and uh, you know, want to win some hockey games. I know we have a special team here, and uh, you know, whatever I can do to help, you know, win some games, uh, you know, I, I think I can do. So, um, you know, just uh, had a good summer, and you know, it was a little frustrating in preseason, getting hurt, but you know, I'm, I'm excited. I know Lane's mantra really is, you know, you're not talking about last season. Yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> when you do look at it, like, what is, is there something that has kept you, you know, or maybe kept you from achieving the, the next step? Uh, no, I don't I don't really think so. No? Obviously, you know, it's not an excuse, but last year I learned the 82 games, you know, the traveling and the plane rides and the eating and the hotels and playing in California, then flying to Seattle, you know, so yeah. I learned all that and, you know, this year it's time to, you know, you know, put my foot down and, you know, start playing hockey and, you know, having fun, so yeah. it's, uh, it's been good so far. Right, because, I mean, you talk about it, you didn't really get that in that the season before where yeah. it was, you just played division yeah, games. Yeah, it was like, yeah, like this, my first season was... 30-minute flight to Philly, play game, fly home, <laughs> off day, fly to Washington, home, you know, two home games, and fly to Boston, home. Yeah. So, no, it's, it's, it was good learning for sure. You know, it's uh, it's pretty taxing on your body, and, you know, I took that into account this summer. So. How close to Lane were you when he was the associate coach, and, and what does it mean to you for him to be the head coach now? Um, yeah, it was, it was good. You know, he worked with me on the side sometimes, you know, the last two years, and you know, it's uh, his uh, philosophy is great. You know, we want to play aggressive. We want to be on top of guys and, uh, you know, make plays, but also, you know, be responsible in the D zone and play games. So I think, you know, we're going to be a pretty aggressive team and it's going to be a, it's going to be fun hockey. So some interesting stuff there, I thought, from uh, Oliver Wallstrom. Uh, pretty introspective. And again, it gets back to maturity. I think, uh, you know, he's taking a look in the mirror and I, I think he really is on the right path. Um Speaking of interesting, just if you'll allow me, just off topic for one minute, I, I came across this randomly on YouTube, and I just feel like I, I have to share this. Um, I know you guys sometimes like me talking about music, so this is a little bit of a curveball out of left field, but and maybe some of you guys have uh, uh, seen this band. I, I was seeing it for the first time, but there's a Black Sabbath cover band 
out of California called Mac Sabbath. And, and, and the four musicians dress as evil McDonald's characters. Yeah, you have to see this. The, the lead singer is uh, literally Ronald McDonald from hell. And, and, and the lyrics are rewritten to have a hamburger theme. So I am now absolutely obsessed with this band. I, I even ordered one of their t-shirts, which I swear I'm going to wear into the Islanders room, even if that is slightly this less than professional attire. Uh, like I said, I just want everyone to, to share what I saw because I couldn't believe what I was seeing when I saw some of those YouTube clips. But anyway, Sorry about that. Back to the Islanders, which is why, after all, we're all here. Uh, a few other things from the first three games that I think bode well for the team. Uh, first, Cal Clutterbuck returned to the lineup in the second game. The Islanders are 2-0 with their identity line intact. And look, I don't know how many games Cal Clutterbuck, Casey Sezikis, and Matt Martin are going to stay healthy enough to play together this season as a complete trio, but they showed against the Sharks particularly how impactful they can still be. The Islanders were admittedly very sluggish through the first period, really sluggish at times, and but that was all except Sezikis and his line mates and, and the trio's energy and certainly Sezikis's energy uh, eventually woke up their teammates and, uh, as Barry used to say, it pulled the team into the fight. Sezikis was skating as well as I've seen him skate. He, he absolutely pants defenseman Jason Magna, um, left him standing still on the way to the crease. It, it was fun to watch. And, and next, both goalies, Ilya Sorokin and Semyon Varlamov, have looked sharp to start the season. Sorokin was really good against both the Panthers uh, and the Ducks, and Varley shook off some early nerves and some uncomfortable moments uh, in the way he was feeling in the first period as he adjusted to the speed of the game to play some really strong positional hockey with some good rebound control over the next two periods against the Sharks. And, and, and it's really important because last season, Varlamov didn't play until the Islanders' 10th game as he recovered from a knee issue that kept him out of training camp. And then he didn't win a start uh, until his sixth start. And, and, and Varlamov spoke after the Sharks game of how important it was for him to get a win in that first start of the season and not to, to be chasing it for so long. And, and then there's the special teams work. The, the Islanders' penalty kill is 12 for 12 to start the season. Uh, uh, and, and that in, included a five-on-three that lasted for a minute and 14 seconds against the Ducks. Ilya Sorokin was clearly the Islanders' best penalty killer as they went 5-for-5 five five against the Panthers. But the, the Islanders have had solid penalty killers both on the back end and the front. Mayfield, Pelik, Pulak, Romanov are all seeing time. Pajot, Parisi, Clutterbuck, Sezikis, uh, Bailey. They, they've, they've all been clutch on the PK. And, and the, the power play, too, has gotten off to a one for 10 start, uh, Dobson connected against the Panthers, but Lambert said an early second period, uh, power play against the Sharks really helped turn that game around. Even without scoring a goal, the Islanders continued to build momentum after that strong power play. And they went on to score 
three goals in the second period to take control of that game. And I got into a good chat with Jean-Gabriel Pajot about the penalty kill and the power play and his pulling double duty at times on, on both special teams. And the same uh, is true of Bailey and Parisi. So here's Jean-Gabriel Pajot on what's different and what's the same about the penalty kill this season? You know, with times, both Barry and Wayne, you, you, on both sides of the special teams, right? Uh, do you have to, like, you know, just self-manage in a way if you're, you're playing those hard minutes both ways? Yeah, I think uh, it, I think it's on both sides too that uh, coaches know, uh, you know, when I'm tired or how I'm feeling uh, d- during the game. If I just came off the ice on a five-on-five shift, um, I think there's a lot of... Uh, ice management but on my end uh, you know I try to do the the role that I'm put in at the mm-hmm. uh, 110% that I can and try to, to, to help the team um, we take pride here in our special teams and uh, and uh, I for sure take pride in it too uh, you know playing uh, having a good PK uh, get some momentum for, for, for the team and power play is the same thing when I get the chance I try to do my best and uh, get involved as much as I can win face off and yeah. Which one did you start out with first when, uh, when you got to the NHL? Penalty killing, for yeah. sure. Uh, um, yeah, that was for sure uh, the, the, the first thing. American League 2, same thing. And uh, as I played more and more, uh, I had some chances on the power play, mm-hmm. uh, which which I like to uh, to, to, to play uh, also. It's uh, it's fun to play one when you're one less guy, but when yeah. once you're when you have one of your teammates more, it's always easier. So it's always more fun. Yeah, I was going to ask you: Do you feel more natural at one or the other, or do you think at this point, you know? Um, I'm pretty comfortable in both. Uh, obviously, I think uh, penalty killing was my um, was the the first thing that I learned uh, yeah. since junior American League and. In the NHL, that's the that's that's where I had the chance to play the the specialty team the first time, and I where I learned a lot uh, from mistakes. And uh, I would say that's probably where I'm most comfortable for sure. Um, I mean, at the point I am now, I have I had the chance to play on the power play a lot, so I'm comfortable there too. So it's, it doesn't really matter. Without giving away trade secrets, are there a lot or not many differences in how you run in the PK this season? I, mean, I think you started what like nine for nine over the first two games. Or? No, it, it, not not really. I no. think it takes a. I think there's there's not many changes. Uh, there's a couple. Laner was running the the PK last year, and I know he's he's helping again this year. So it's uh, we've learned a lot. Uh, like I said, you, in the PK you learn through your mistakes, and we've we've had a we've had a lot. And we climbed last year. We did a great job on the penalty killing, and we want to do the same thing. Uh, everything, everyone that's on it, the goalie. I think I've always said it's your best killer. That they've been amazing for us. And everyone that's on it has a lot of experience, and um, you know it's a lot of sacrifice. They block the block shots from the deep defense, and look at Romy. I think in the last two games he has nine block shots and five block shots. So it just shows how dedicated the guys are. Yeah, it seems you know just like you know you're aggressive on the PK. You're looking to, to yeah. get up the ice a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There's that. That could be the little details that we might have changed a little bit. We try to look at opportunities where we can. Uh, maybe pressure a little more or where we can improve there's always room for improvement mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's that's what the coaches are good here for uh, they do a lot of videos a lot of details and we pay a lot of attention to those and I think that makes us better as a group so uh, appreciate 
Peugeot taking the time to chat and, and moving past now the Islanders opening three games. Let, let's take a look at what's ahead. Uh, the Devils represent a third straight opponent that, that did not make the playoffs, but all that changes with the first road trip of the season uh, this weekend coming up. The Islanders are in Tampa on Saturday to face the Lightning. And remember, the Lightning have reached the Stanley Cup Finals uh, for three straight seasons, even though they lost to the Avalanche uh, uh, this uh, this past season. And then the Islanders have a rematch with the Panthers in Sunrise, Florida on Sunday with just about 22 hours between the opening face-offs. And that's why it was so critically important for Lambert to get both Sorokin and Varlamov into a rhythm, in, in, into game action before the team actually departed for Florida. You, you didn't want Varlamov's first game to be in either of those, uh, you know, especially given how Varlamov said it took him a little bit of time to adjust to the game speed in the first period. Um, so, you know, that, that that's kind of a, a, you know, starting against the uh, Sharks is, it, it was, was was the prudent move there. And the, and the Islanders then return home to face the Rangers. And the, again, not getting up on the soapbox, but I guess I'll take a, at least a half step up. It's the team's only game this season at UBS Arena, and, and I can't think of any other word for the fact that there's only one Islanders-Rangers game at UBS this season other than disgusting. It's just, it, it, it's a travesty. But, okay, stepping down from the soapbox, the Rangers certainly look like they're going to be one of the Eastern Conference's top cup contenders this season. Uh, as much as that probably pains Islanders fans to hear. Um, after facing the Rangers, it's off to Cal Carolina uh, next Friday, and, and the Hurricanes are likely going to battle the Rangers for Metropolitan Division supremacy. And and then you, you look at November, and 10 of the 15 games in November are road games. That includes trips to St. Louis, Toronto, Nashville, Dallas, some tough games there. So... Look, it, it's a long season, as we all know, but I, I think we're really going to learn early just how much of a playoff contender these Islanders are going to be this season. And in the early returns, again, throwing out level of competition, the very early returns, I, I think you see enough signs to think that it, it, it could be pretty decent this season. And now let's see what kind of questions you have. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. So thank you to everyone who uh, submitted questions. I'm going to get to as many as I can in, oh, say, the next 10 minutes or so. So uh, rapid fire style. Let's get into it. Thomas Boyle says, with Lou Lamarillo not making any moves this summer, and me speaking, obviously, acquired Alex Romanov, and uh, failing to improve uh, the offense, how short a leash is he on? And I, I, I really don't sense that there's any leash on Lou from ownership at, at this time. I, I think the only leash on Lou is how long he wants to, uh, to do this, you know, dual role as it is as president and general manager, whether he wants at some point to step up, just be president. Uh, I don't know how much he'd like that. I, I think he likes having his hands across everything. So uh, 
really, I, I, I still feel like uh, the shelf life is what Lou wants it to be. I don't sense any leash yet. Um, P. Williams uh, says, Andrew, please talk a little or a lot about the new locker room at UBS Arena, what it's like. Uh, still haven't seen any photos yet. And yeah, that was uh, that was exciting for us as the media uh the season opener, that was the first time we were in the room. Uh, first off, it's a big room, as uh, as NHL dressing rooms go. It's it's, uh, and, and that's just the part we see. It's it's ba- mainly an oval uh, shape. It, it, it sort of resembles what they have at Northwell Health uh, Ice Center in East Meadow, their practice facility. It's oval, really big locker stalls, plenty of room to walk around. No worrying about. Uh, Stepping on the logo in the middle of the room, like a lot of teams have, but that's uh, that's been covered up with a, another rug. But really, the the impressive part, and 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 it, it, it sort of uh, reminds me a little bit of Airplane Two, if if you remember that, uh, because as you walk into <laughs> the locker room, there are these sliding doors that kind of like a supermarket. They open as you get close to them, and I sort of want to do like. William Shatner did in Airplane 2 and just go shh, shh every time I get to these doors. But haven't done that yet. It's a long season. Probably get to that. The, the best part about the uh, the, the locker room and, and the facilities at UBS are, are the stuff the media doesn't get to see. And the players have described this. And we got to see it a little bit uh, during construction when John Ledecky would take us on construction tours of UBS Arena. But it, it's a... A two-story workout room, which is incredible um, there. And, and apparently the uh, the cafeteria facilities are, are second to none. The medical facilities, everything is just first class there. But yeah, big oval, very impressive room, a uh, lot of room to walk around. And the players have uh, plenty of space to, uh, you know, get out if, if they want because... Like any professional team, uh, the real locker rooms are past the other doors where the media doesn't get into. Um, Michael says, do you think the new line stick? Bo seems like one of the few players who can keep up with Barzell. And short term, yeah, I, I, I certainly expect that to be the case against the Devils. And really, it's, and Lane keeps saying this, it's going to be a uh, game-by-game uh, proposition, but I, I, I do think Bo and Barzell get a, a chance to play here a little bit, and likewise, Wally, uh, Oliver Wallstrom gets a, a little bit of a run here to play with Brock Nelson and see what he can do with that. Uh, Pucklock Lou says, how does the potential $4 million salary cap increase impact uh, Scott Mayfield's future on the island? And I, I think it, it may have a, a huge impact because that $4 million is probably what Mayfield is looking to make on his next deal. And maybe now they can uh, fit him in. Whereas if the salary cap only increased by $1 million, uh, I, I think they might have had a hard time retaining Scott Mayfield. Uh, for next season, and this is per cap friendly, the Islanders have about $71 million committed to 17 players. That's one goalie, 11 forwards, five defensemen. Matthew Barzell's already signed, so that issue is okay. And, and Dobson's got another year before you really need to pay him. Um, big, big, big bucks, which he's going to get. Uh, you do need a goalie next season. 
whether Varlamov comes back, he's going to come back if he does at, at, at less than $5 million per season. But then Sorokin's going to need a big deal uh, the season after next. Um, but I, I think the $4 million increase uh, radically improves the Islanders' chances of re-signing uh, Scott Mayfield to an extension. Uh, Hockey Season says, thoughts on Romanov so far? Also, how do you feel about the fishermen potentially coming back? I think I uh, talked about Romanov in the opening segment, and yeah, the fishermen is coming back on the uh, retro, uh, or the re- reverse retro jersey, and, you know, to me, it, not a lot of people seem to be hanging on to the anger that was there in the mid-90s when they, the Islanders mistakenly foistered the fishermen upon us. And, and again, that, that, there's a lot wrong with how they rolled it out. It could have worked. It's not the worst logo in the world. And I think as, uh, as an alternate to the alternate jersey, you know, it's a good revenue stream because you see people buying these jerseys anyway, and you see backpacks with the fisherman jersey hats. So it's sort of become retro cool again, which is the whole idea of the retro reverse retro jersey, I guess. So it's a good revenue stream. And, uh, you know, the Islanders are going to make money on it. So that that's what I'll have to say. Jack Anton says... All caveats regarding small sample size and weak opponents notwithstanding, Lane Lambert's less constrictive season uh, system is very refreshing. Is it sustainable? And absolutely. I, I, I don't see why it wouldn't be. Uh, this is the way they're going to play. And uh, it, it's all about getting in. It, it's standard stuff that a lot of coaches, but there's more of a shooter's mentality that he's trying to ingrain. And yes, that is sustainable. Um, Sonny says, have you noticed a change in atmosphere with the players from the change uh, from Barry Trotz to Lambert? And no, it's, it's, it's really, really professional. Um, You know, even let's take Oliver Wallstrom, a guy that everyone presumed did not get along with Barry Trotz, whether that was true or not true. I, I, I don't think it was, you know, a total hate-hate relationship there. Um, I, I did mention, I think Ollie looks, uh, Oliver looks a little more comfortable this season, but even, you know, even he, I, I don't think it's, I, 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 he's not coming out and saying, thank God Barry's gone. And, and no player would ever say that. They're still very complimentary towards Barry Trotz and what he brought to this organization as they should be. And, and these guys are pros. And no, I, I really don't notice a, a change in the atmosphere uh, from one coach to the next. Other than they liked Barry and now they they, they, they like uh, Lane now. Uh, you know, as long as they were winning, right? Uh, Will Forthman says, when the team announced the staff, I was surprised to see Scott Boggs, who was the equipment manager, and Mitch Korn were not announced. Is it confirmed they're both no longer with the organization? Uh, Boggsy is, yeah, Boggsy was was uh, let go. Um, he is no longer with the Islanders. The Islanders do have a new equipment manager, but Mitch Korn uh, is back with the organization. Mitch Korn is still the director of goaltending. 
Uh, Mark Wells says, I noticed Josh Bailey is playing fewer minutes, second lowest on the team last night for San Jose. Does Lane Lambert see him any differently than Trotz, who played him in all situations? Well, look, uh, Lane Lambert is playing him in all situations, as I mentioned uh, before we ran the uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot interview. He's playing uh, on the second power play unit. He's one of their key penalty killers, and and he's on that third line. Um I think the, you know, I, I didn't look too hard into the minutes um, against the Sharks. Uh, but no, uh, Lambert is not diminishing Josh Bailey's uh, role, other than the fact that, uh, you know, he, he seems to be solidly on the third line rather than as a top six player for now. Um, Brian G says, what is Sebastian Ajo's mystery injury? A paper cut. And <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, look, we could... We'd probably do a whole episode on this, you know, salary cap circumvention. And I'm sure there's some part of Sebastian Ajo's body that that is hurting, but he is practicing in full. And really, this was about creating a roster spot so they could activate Cal Clutterbuck. Um, Coach Jeff24 says... Loved the changes so far. Noticed after the first yesterday, Lane put uh, Beauvillier with Barzell and Wallstrom. And, uh, you know, Wallstrom, or Lane put Bo up with Barzell, Wallstrom up with Nelson, and moved Parisi with Pajot. Still think uh, Palmieri looks lost with Barzell. Do you think Lane gives a go with swapping lines so Wallstrom plays with Barzell? And look, if if Wallstrom, easy answer, if if... If Wallstrom is continuing to produce and Palmieri is not producing, that you may see a switch just to give a different look and maybe Palms gets moving with uh, Brock Nelson. But I, I don't think that is imminent. Um, Rich Ziles says, Seems like the Islanders like the Lee Brock Wallstrom line, but do you think there's a chance of Lee Barzell Wallstrom ever? And uh, I, again, uh, previous answer, if the Islanders are going good, then the lines are probably going to stay the same. And if not, you, you go to the chalkboard and you see what gets whipped up. And uh, yeah, I mean, Lee Barzell Wallstrom, why not? It's a possibility. And finally, uh, Michael TV says, is Matthew Barzell's lack of goal scoring an issue going forward? How can it be improved? I, three games, look, he... He passed up a couple of times where I thought he could have taken a shot. I'd like to. I would have liked to seen him shoot there, but I don't. I, I don't see it as an issue yet. Um, it seems they're, and this is Michael TV saying, uh, it seems they're continually looking for players to play according to his game. Can he adapt enough to fit successfully on other lines? They just paid Matthew Barzell. $73.2 million over the next eight seasons starting next year uh, to say that they believe he can. So they're, 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 they're making that bet. And with that, that's it for the questions for Andrew's answers. As always, I, I deeply appreciate your interest. And uh, I'm sorry if I didn't get to uh, anyone else's question. Like I said, trying to... Uh, uh, trying to move it along, but yeah, uh, I, I, again, really appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening to episode 143 of Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. Again, if you want to follow me, Andrew Gross, on Newsday, please do so at A Gross Newsday and all 
Islanders content can be found at newsday.com backslash Isles. Don't forget Newsday TV, and don't forget to tune in to the next episode uh, after the Islanders' first road trip. But until then, happy hockey, everybody.